Good evening, everybody. It's great to be here with you tonight at um, CIMC. I'm going to put on the gallery view, just like to see everybody and to connect with community. I'm interested in the subject of how we can connect through Zoom, since it seems to be one of our major ways these days. How can we notice each other and feel each other and know that we're not alone, that we're a community and that we're together. So feel free to explore that. For some people, gallery view that works and for other people, spotlighted on just a speaker feels better. So today, as I think all of you probably know is inauguration day. And when I agreed to give a talk on this day, um, I didn't kind of make that connection. I'm not sure I would have agreed to talk on this day, or maybe I would have <laughs> decided to be a Bodhisattva and talk on this day. <laughs> um, it's been an emotional day. And uh, I feel like I just, I, I think it's probably not just me. So I feel like um, I want to just name it. It's, if it's in the room, I love to name what's in the room. <laughs> Um, for me, it's been, um, I'm surprised at the number of different emotions that I felt today. <laughs> so I thought that mostly I would be happy and relieved, but I've actually felt um, heartbreak also, which surprised me. Maybe some of you have felt that too. It's like with the change of um, administration, I, I felt kind of the full impact of, of a number of years where um, compassion hasn't exactly been at the forefront of, of the um, ambience, the national ambience. Yeah, so we've seen kind of the results of, of, of not having that at the forefront of of, of our national community. And it's interesting, last night, um, I don't know if any of you went to the, if you attended the um, COVID memorial, the, the COVID-19 memorial that, um, that was hosted by the inauguration committee, Biden and the inauguration committee. And it, and it, 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 it actually impacted me quite powerfully. Um, I felt like he was channeling Kuan Yin or something. <laughs> he, he, first of all, just to do this kind of ceremony. And, and by the way, I hope it's all right that I'm bringing in politics. I definitely don't want anybody to feel alienated, but um, I'm not a rah-rah Biden type of person, but I do think he stepped up to the occasion. <laughs> and uh, like last night during the memorial for me was a, was an um, example of that. First of all, that we had a memorial, so impactful, so um, beautiful, that offering. And then he said, um, he said, you know, there's an enormous amount of suffering that's happened because of the pandemic. And he said, we have to turn towards that. This is my memory too, by the way, so I might not have the exact words. But he was like, we have to turn towards that. He said, it might be hard. It's hard at times. 
but we have to turn towards it if we want to heal. And there was such a lovely combination of, of fierceness, just a tad bit of fierceness, like we need to turn towards this, but his eyes were so soft. There was this tenderness that, um, oh, it was like a balm from my heart to, 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 to have that represented for our country. And um, as most of you know, uh, he lost his son and he lost his wife. Um, I think his son to his accident and his wife to cancer, if I, if I have it correctly. And, uh, and he grieved a lot. He, he suffered a lot. But you can tell that he used the grief, he used the suffering in order to strengthen the compassion in his heart. And the sense I got as he was talking was that he wasn't afraid of suffering. That he was able to turn towards it and hold it. So um, it, was, it was just a beautiful uh, demonstration of this quality and, and of, of the Kuan Yin um, koan that I mentioned in the description of this, this evening. Also, an hour and a half ago, I watched as he signed the first mandate, or the first um, executive order, and it was a mandate that in federal buildings, people have to wear masks. And he said it so we can take care of each other. And um, again, so this compassion coming to the forefront is very beautiful. Also, he's just the other thing. I feel like I'm sound like such a fan for Biden, but also the other thing I noticed is he's not um, afraid to to name the challenges that we have of in front of us. And again, not to he's not afraid to name the suffering. He wasn't afraid to name the pandemic last night. He's not afraid to name. Um, systemic racism and white supremacy as challenges that we have in front of us. He's not afraid to, to name the climate crisis and to, to know that we need to address that. And the enormous division in our country. So it's this naming, this being willing to turn towards suffering and name it, like that's the beginning of compassion. to open to, to acknowledge, to allow, to be touched by suffering. That's what, um, that's the proximate cause of compassion. And so the heartbreak that I was feeling today as I felt this, I went for a walk, I was feeling the heartbreak and I was like, how can I, how can I be touched by this in a way that softens me? In a way that, that builds compassion in my heart, that doesn't overwhelm me. These are the questions that come up when we, when we face suffering and when we are developing compassion. So most of you know that I have a very strong Theravada Buddhism background. Um, that's my root lineage, yeah, the Mahasi style, particularly in my early years for many years. Um, uh, but lately I've been uh, 
studying more Mahayana teachings through um, Kittasaran Tanisara, and uh, specifically the Kuan Yin practices through the um, lineage of Master Hua of the City of 10,000 Buddhas. So lots of mantras and chants and, um, and uh, um, the Bodhisattva vow and, and uh, more Mahayana um, teachings. So when I talk about Kuan Yin, that, that comes from Mahayana teachings. But many people in the insight communities and in Theravada uh, lineages relate to this idea or this Bodhisattva of, of compassion, this Kuan Yin. Um, but I like to be clear where things come from so we don't get confused. Somebody once asked Master Wang, who is Kuan Yin? And he said, find out who you are and then you will know because you are Kuan Yin. So pointing each of us towards the capacity of our hearts to manifest this quality of compassion and to develop it and to strengthen it so that it's boundless tender and yet strong. So compassion emerges from our own hearts and um, it emerges from our own um, capacity to hold suffering. And we talked about this a little bit in the sitting for those of you who were there. Um, For those of you who weren't there, we talked about how we when suffering arises in our hearts, minds, bodies, we, we learn how to turn towards that with tenderness. And I described it like um, bringing the awareness like, like, like cotton balls, <laughs> like that's a soft awareness that's tender and can touch and be touched by, by the suffering. And that's what um, develops our our compassionate heart. Also, obviously, seeing it outside of ourselves. But a good training ground is right here. What is arising for me? So who is Kuan Yin? Um, In Mahayana Buddhism, Kuan Yin is a principal bodhisattva uh, associated with compassion. And um, a bodhisattva is a person that's um, able to reach full enlightenment, but postpones it to come back over and over again to heal suffering, to take care, to save suffering beings. So Kuan Yin um, is uh, is an equivalent term for uh, Avalokiteshwara bodhisattva. And um, Kuan Yin is gender shifted over time. They were initially um, male, now uh, often represented as female, um, but really an archetype that transcends gender. I uh, often use the she pronoun with Kuan Yin because that's how I relate to Kuan Yin. Sometimes I use the they pronoun. you're welcome to relate to Kuan Yin uh, in whatever way t- 
touches your heart and reminds you that you are Kuan Yin. So this is my Kuan Yin back here too, uh, with a candle in front of her. She's with us tonight. So there's a mantra for Kuan Yin that um, I've worked with some. It's Namo Kuan Shur Yin Pusa. Namo Kuan Shur Yin Pusa. Let's see how the translation works with that. Didn't quite work. <laughs> we had the, the written translation. This is the first place I've taught that has the, the transcription. Anyway, Namo Kuan Shur Yin Pusa. And it's usually translated as the one who hears the cries of the world with ease. Sometimes there's a shorter translation, but that's the one I've been giving. given. The one who listens to or the one who hears the cries of the world with ease. There's a lot of cries of the world right now. But I think the conundrum to me or the question to me has always been, with ease, here's the cries of the world with ease. Like what is going on there? So I'm gonna tell you some of my um, explorations around this um, mantra and, and, and the qualities you could say of Kuan Yin. Hopefully they'll be helpful for you. So first of all, it says she, she or the one who listens to the cries of the world. So definitely there's a sense of connecting, right? Connecting with suffering. There's no disconnect. There's no um, indifference or pulling back. So part of the spiritual path is learning how to connect with suffering, especially the Buddha's path, right? Um, and, and part of this connection is like, how do we increase our capacity to connect with suffering? So that we don't have to pull back. We don't have to disengage. We can stay connected when suffering is present, our own or others. We might start, as I said, in our sitting with that knee pain or loneliness. And every time we sit and we can be with what's difficult for ourselves, we're increasing our capacity. And this, is, this is insight meditation. Concentration meditation is, is different. It's kind of meant to put suffering um, aside and just focus on one thing and quiet the heart and mind. But insight meditation is meant to be open to all that arises all of life. And of course, that includes suffering. So our own suffering is our practice ground for stretching our capacity, the capacity of our hearts to remain open. We listen to our own suffering. And then we listen to others, the suffering of others. We develop this capacity to hear the cries of the world. Rumi says, everyone chooses a suffering that turns them into a well-baked loaf. 
turns them into a well-baked loaf. So in that way, we, we even perhaps can welcome our own suffering because it's what helps transform our hearts. It helps them learn how to soften, how to be tender in the face of suffering. So this quality of suffering, this quality of compassion is, um, it has a sweet quality to it. To me, it's kind of poignant, tender, sweet, soft, fierce at times. We'll talk about that later. So sometimes we, 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 we hit one of the near misses instead of compassion. Sometimes when we're um, facing suffering, we hit distress or overwhelm, empathetic distress, despair. Those are all near misses we're going to talk about a little later. I just want to frame right now that we remember that suffering has a sweet quality, suffering compassion has a sweet quality to it. It's sweet in that connection, in the care, in the wanting to alleviate suffering. But what about this part? Okay, Kuan Yin is the one who hears the cries of the world with ease. What about what about this part of with ease? What um. What is that about? Thich Nhat Hanh uh, talks about this question. He says, when I was a novice, I could not understand why. If the world is filled with suffering, the Buddha has such a beautiful smile. Why isn't he disturbed by all the suffering? Later, I discovered that the Buddha has enough understanding, calmness, and strength. That is why the suffering does not overwhelm him. He is able to smile to suffering because he knows how to take care of it and to help transform it. We need to be aware of suffering but retain our clarity, calmness, and strength so that we can transform the situation. The ocean of tears cannot drown us if compassion is there. That is why the Buddha's smile is possible. So strength, clarity. What was the other one? Let me see. Strength, clarity, and calmness. And I, and I think the strength comes from our capacity to hold suffering and the non-resistance to it. The ease comes from the non-resistance and non-reactivity 
to suffering, the ability to be with it. We say, yes, this is the way, the truth of the way things are right now. And there's actually a sense of relief in that because we're not fighting it anymore. We can see this ourselves when there's some suffering, we're fighting it and we're kind of fighting it. We, do, we tend to start with resistance, right? We're fighting it and fighting it. And then there's like, oh, this is the way it is right now. And there's, and we give up that fighting and we land right here, right now with what's true, what's happening. And it's a relief. So part of learning this non-resistance to suffering is to um, explore resistance. We honor that the heart tries to protect itself and that it learns at its own pace. We honor um, that sometimes we're defended. So we're not trying to blast through our defenses, but rather to respect them and to respect and have patience with our own hearts. Kuan Yin didn't get there in a lifetime, and we probably won't either. <laughs> but with patience and intention, we can increase our capacity. And I think we need to, we need to, we need to do this. I, I don't see easier times coming for us as a species, as a country for a while anyway. We're going to need compassion. We're going to need lots of it. That's a very worthy and noble task to figure out how to strengthen our hearts in this quality. So sometimes we worry that if we um, connect with suffering that we're going to become overwhelmed. But what we find is that um, we learn how to allow our hearts to expand and grow. For me, when I'm trying to uh, hold some suffering without reactivity, with compassion, often for me, the senses of letting, of, of creating, of increasing space, you could say, increasing the, the space that my heart occupies. It's hard to talk about, but to, um, yeah, let the boundaries <laughs> grow. Um, sometimes analogy is used. If you have a cup of water and you, you know, put in a handful of salt, you're going to have pretty salty water. But if you have an, a lake or an ocean and you put in a handful of salt, that's okay, right? So if our hearts, when our hearts are small, they feel contracted. Yeah, the suffering's bitter, but when but when our hearts get bigger and bigger, and have, and there's more and more room, the suffering um, isn't bitter anymore. There, there's space for it to 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 be there and to be responded to with compassion. When our hearts feel tight and small. It's hard to have compassion because the suffering feels so bitter. We just want it to go away. So, so, so for me, a lot of practice over the years is like this, the heart getting bigger. More space, more can be held.
so part of this journey, part of it is finding our own inner strength. Thich Nhat Hanh mentioned strength, that we need strength to be able to relate to compassion with, to, to suffering with compassion. Sorry, I keep mixing those words up. Um, our own, you know, you could say our own inner strength or our own quiet dignity in the face of suffering, in the face of this wild world. Kuan Yin usually looks pretty dignified and strong. And I was thinking of modern examples of this kind of strength. So one we can think of often is the Dalai Lama, right? He has this quiet strength. He was once asked um, what happens after a person dies. And he says, well, I don't really know, but um, he's praying that he'll be reborn wherever there is the most suffering. That's Bodhisattva. He wants to, his heart wants to be able to alleviate suffering. Then I was thinking of um, Greta Nunberg, the climate, young climate change activist. And uh, she has a kind of fierce compassion, right? There's a lot of strength there. And, and it has this fierce quality. That's another, you could say, facet of compassion. The Dalai Lama has quiet strength. Greta Nunberg has fierce compassion. And then I was thinking of... Um, Emma Gonzalez, the, the, the young woman who, after the Parkland um, school shooting, which now feels like a century ago, but a while ago, um, who had this emotional strength, this compassionate emotional strength that she could stand in front of um, a crowd in, in D.C. and for six minutes stand silent in front of this crowd with tears streaming down her face. So much strength there. And then I was thinking just recently of um, Stacey Abrams and, and her kind of uh, quality of perseverance. All the community organizers who, who are in it for the long haul, who have this strength of perseverance, of, of just continuing on, even when the odds might look against, uh, against them. Never, never giving up. There's strength again. So there's so many examples of, a, of the kind of strength that allows, um, allows Kuan Yin to listen to the cries of the world with ease. Kuan Yin, certainly in it for the long haul, with the Bodhisattva vow to not attain full enlightenment until all beings are saved. It's probably a wild, a wild. <laughs> so if we can see these kinds of strength and they resonate within us, it's because we too can access that kind of inner strength Strength that can be in it for the long haul. Strength that can face enormity of suffering in our world right now.
And this inner strength can um, help counteract the tendency to, to collapse in the face of suffering. It's an antidote to collapse. Martin Luther King Jr. talked um, a lot about love, compassion as a flavor of love, talked a lot about love and, and, and strength. And, and uh, he also manifested that, that kind of um, compassionate, fierce, compassionate strength. And uh, I'm gonna read a quote of his. He uses the word power instead of strength, but um, for me, uh, I feel like they're the same, but he uses the word power here. One of the greatest problems of history is that the concepts of love and power are usually contrasted as polar opposites. Love is identified with a resignation of power and power with a denial of love. What is needed is a realization that power without love is reckless and abusive and that love without power is sentimental and anemic. So what he's saying is that our, our, our love, our compassion needs to be strong. It's anemic, it doesn't have the, 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 the qualities that it needs without strength, which he calls power. So where is that place of strength within us? Sometimes if I get quiet, I can just feel it. I can feel it in there. Perhaps you can too. Or perhaps that can be an inquiry for you. It's like, where is the center of my strength? And then we can learn to call on that place deep within that we learn to be able to trust more and more that that capacity within us. So it's important to, me to know and to remember that compassion isn't wimpy. It's soft and tender, as I said, and yet it's strong and powerful. It's a fascinating combination, isn't it? So part of the um, quality of compassion is the wish to alleviate suffering. So it's not just empathy, that empathy is part of it, but it's a wish to alleviate suffering. So it has a sense of agency and action. Kuan Yin is often um, uh, shown with one knee up, like ready to jump into action. Or sometimes she's, they're shown with the, the, the many arms and um, many hands ready to, to be involved, to do something. Thich Nhat Hanh says compassion is a verb. So there's a kind of um, agency in doing something. And it's important to understand that. Because if we think of compassion as just empathy, what often happens is that we wind up with empathetic distress instead of compassion. Empathetic stress, which is a, which is a near miss, 
as it's sometimes called, a near neighbor, a near miss. Empathetic distress feels the suffering of somebody else. That's how it's related to compassion, but it collapses into the suffering. It loses a sense of agency, you could say, or loses that ability to envision doing something or to envision the ending of suffering. One of the best descriptions of empathetic distress that I know is a story that um, Sharon Salzberg tells of when she um, was teaching in Russia many years ago. And there was a translator and um, she was just wondering how he was translating the word compassion. Something just didn't quite feel right to her. So she asked him and he said, um, oh, I describe a state of being terribly overcome with someone's sorrow, like having a stake through the heart and having the burden of someone's pain burdening you too. That's empathetic distress. And it's similar to to compassion in that um, there's care and connection. But it's a, it's a miss because of the, 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 the um, collapse, you could say, into the other person's suffering. So like too much empathy and not enough um, of the strength of, of compassion, perhaps helplessness. And so some of us have been taught that empathetic distress is compassion. Sometimes some families, if you're not showing empathetic distress when somebody's suffering, that means that you don't care. We're supposed to be distraught if somebody is, is suffering. So we need to start understanding for ourselves the difference between empathetic distress and compassion because empathetic distress will wear us out. It will overwhelm us. We're looking for some kind of middle ground between detachment and not caring on one end and empathetic distress on the other end. Compassion's in the middle there. And so the sweetness of compassion is this um, desire to, to alleviate it. So, so the Dalai Lama said that um, when, we, when we're first compassionate, when we connect with suffering, that there might be a few moments of, um, where it's painful, but then it feels um, sweet. It doesn't feel painful. And he says that as we get to be better practitioners, that those moments go faster. Where it's, it's um, you know, there's this connection. So those moments of connection, but yet then the quality itself is sweet. It cares. It wants to alleviate. And it doesn't get um, overwhelmed in empathetic distress. So it's sweet. It's not sweet to be caught in empathetic distress, but it's sweet to have the heart feel compassion.
so I was thinking when I was thinking about this talk, I was thinking about how Kuan Yin has this boundless heart, right? There's no limits to Kuan Yin's compassion. There's no limits to the ability to listen to the cries of the world. But the truth is our own hearts, while we may aspire to that boundlessness, um, we're still learning. We're, we're budding bodhisattvas, most of us. We're still learning. So it's, not, it's, it's, it's helpful to know how to take care of our hearts also. This will support us to be able to be compassionate. If we can be realistic or, or if we know how to listen to our own heart and what it needs. So, the, so a number of things I can say in this area. One thing I can say is just taking good care of ourselves in general helps us to be able to access the strength to be compassionate and not to fall into overwhelm or despair or empathetic distress. Really just basic things like getting enough sleep. <laughs> you, you all know, right, how different the day looks when we, when we, when we are able to sleep and when we, when we don't sleep. Nourishing our bodies with good food, getting enough rest, getting enough movement, just real basic self-care is really helpful. I think of, um, for me, I, I, I have a body that I have to do good self-care or I pay very high, highly for it. And um, so I think of like each time that I make sure I get enough sleep, that I rest, that I eat well, that I exercise, I, I think of it as like putting money in my energetic bank account. <laughs> And then when I need it, the energy's there. I can, I can make a withdrawal. Um, but sometimes I'm actually putting money, uh, putting money, quote unquote, in the bank account. Um, even maybe when I perhaps don't seem like I need it, but getting enough rest, like I said, exercising, eating well. Um, I highly recommend it. As much as you can, obviously our lives have different circumstances at different times, um, but, but we're kind of sometimes given the, the message that we should be limitless. We should be able to do everything and we should be able to keep going, 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 going. And uh, it's not true, especially as you get older. <laughs> so being um, realistic about what we need to take care of ourselves to feel strong. So it's, it's, it's uh, our own resource management and trying to keep it sustainable rather than um, burning ourselves out. Another thing that can be helpful is to really understand our own boundaries, our needs for boundaries. This became apparent to me one time I was in this group and um, one of the women in the group was suffering uh, a lot. And at a certain point I started feeling like I was um, being asked more than I could give. And what I noticed was that um, my compassion for her was going out the, the window. I wasn't feeling compassionate towards her. I was feeling kind of 
judgmental, actually. And I didn't like that. I was like, I, I don't want to, I do not want to be in this space with her. I care about her. I really want to, you know, feel more compassion. And um, so then I thought about like, what can I give in this situation? And what, and what can I not? And, and when I became clear, like how far I was willing to go, um, the compassion came back. It was just natural. It was there. And it was just a great teaching about how boundaries actually allow us to be more compassionate. They can strengthen compassion. So that's all like under kind of understanding our own limits, taking care of our, of our own hearts. Now, sometimes um, because of circumstances, we will go over the capacity of our hearts. Sometimes we decide to give beyond what really feels like we can do with ease, right? It's not always about protecting our hearts. If we always prioritize um, um, having our hearts be non-turbulent or at ease, we might um, become, we might not become as engaged as the world needs us to be right now. Engagement with suffering can be very activating. So part of the, the journey of compassion is allowing that at times um, we might fall into one of the near neighbors. We might um, have a heart that's, that's in the process of trying to understand how to relate to real challenges. We might have to let our hearts break. Our hearts might break and all that comes with that, right? And then out of the, you could see out of the ruins of that heartbreak come compassion. So compassion is really, is, it's really a journey. It's a journey into all the territory of our heart. And it's that journey that makes it us strong and that teaches us. And then another part you could say about, and I'm going to talk a few more minutes, then I'll give you a chance to ask some questions. So another part about, um, you could say the boundaries of compassion is knowing the limits of what we can do and what we can fix, quote unquote. There's just some things that we can't fix. All beings experience some pleasure and pain, joy and sorrow. And this reflection, this understanding that there's some things that we can't fix um, is meant to help us to actually um, let go of, of, of contraction, let go of the small heart. Um, and relax into the way things are it's not it's not apathy it's not trying to do it's not trying to not do anything we still do every everything we can to try to alleviate suffering but then we know that at a certain point it's out of our hands you could say god's will will be done god's will be done I'm just thinking in the inauguration, there were a lot of, there was a lot of ministers there. So that, uh, that uh, influenced me. 
if we've experienced a lot of powerlessness in our lives, this reflection on the limits of what we can do can sometimes um, bring up um, old wounds. In some ways, a compassion journey is like a, my, a minefield for old wounding, um, old conditioning. It gives us a chance to um, see this conditioning that might lead to collapse or to empathetic distress or to overwhelm, despair, um, all those near misses. And um, develop another way. But it's a journey. And sometimes it's um, a challenge. Hmm. See if there's anything else to say before... um, So every morning I, um, I make a vow to cultivate an awakened heart and um, this heart that is um, connected in this world, connected to the joy, connected to the sorrow, connected to the suffering. I try to have that thought as I start each day. And then it's the journey, right? It's the journey of, of exploring uh, how that bow plays out, where I get stuck, and where I um, find my strength to be able to listen to the cries of the world. with spaciousness, perhaps that's a better word for me than ease, with a heart that's um, wide enough, non-resistant enough. That suffering can have its place alongside joy, alongside all of it. That's what I wish for all of us is that, that our practice can develop this heart. Sometimes it's that a heart as wide as the world. It doesn't always feel like that, but sometimes it does. Where we can hold all the suffering that is present in our own lives, present in our society, and feel that movement to want to alleviate it, to do something. To respond with care. Thank you.